The best week of the college football season so far. Coming up, six games matching ranked opponents and a few other intriguing ones. A rivalry that makes you wonder why haven't they played more often. It will be again in front of a college game day crowd. Plus, maybe a lean or two on some of our early picks. This is the College Game Day podcast for Wednesday, September 20th. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel. Pete, we have to start with Notre Dame and Ohio State, two of the biggest brands in the sport, a series that dates back to 1935, yet they've only played seven times, despite a pretty close geographical proximity. A a series that started off with such promise when Bill Shakespeare, literally, Bill Shakespeare, William Shakespeare, threw the game-winning touchdown. How art thou, Bill? Right. Uh, Etu, uh, Etu Brutus, <laughs> Brutus Buckeye, um, in 1935, yet they've only played seven times. Really, the series revived with a home and home in the 90s. Then they played last year, but a couple of Fiesta Bowl, I think both Fiesta Bowl meetings, bowl game meetings in between anyway. And really, since the 90s, it has felt as if Ohio State has had more speed, more elite athletes on the outside, and that ultimately, no matter how tough, how scrappy, how physical Notre Dame has been, that has proved to be the difference. I don't know that I feel exactly the same way now. Uh, Marvin Harrison will be the best outside player on the field. I think everybody understands that. But I don't know that, that I feel like Notre Dame is that far behind this year. Would you Would you concur with that notion? Yeah, I think a lot of things have flipped Reese since uh, since last year's game in uh, in Columbus, which was which was a great game, and, and, and Notre Dame played pretty well. Yes, in they game. did. I want to say they were fourteen point underdogs in that uh, in that in that game in uh, in in Columbus. They came right out firing. They were aggressive. It was uh, it was Marcus Freeman's debut as uh, as as head coach, and you got a little glimpse that like he wasn't going to flinch in that. Uh, in that spot. But I think this year now there's a clear advantage at quarterback at Notre Dame. Sam Hartman has come in and he has been a sniper. He's been excellent. And he has lifted up a skill position group that had really struggled last year. I mean, Notre Dame's entire offense last year was, was running the ball and throwing to Michael Mayer. And that was pretty much it. Now there's really a nice blend. Audrick Estime has has really just grounded his way into being one of the best power backs in college football. And then there's a, you know, there's a group of young receivers, be they Jaden Greathouse, uh, who's flashed at a few times, Tobias Merriweather, Jaden Thomas, Chris Tyree's an older guy. And they've really been able to balance those two great tackles, Alton Fisher, with some really good skill on the outside. And, you know, they have formed a quick identity. Ohio State is still forming its identity with its new quarterback, Kyle McCord. And um, literally in the time, like I, I got up on the plane for like 10 minutes on, on the way home from, from Boulder last week, and Ohio State scored like three touchdowns. And uh, I think it was in the second quarter. And it was a little bit of like, oh, yeah, this is what Ryan Day's teams mm-hmm. do. They like score in greedy bunches. And it was the first time we really saw Kyle McCord do that in a. Uh, in a really distinct way. So I think that Kyle McCord certainly shown flashes and there's been throws. There were a few throws that were just off in the Indiana game or not caught in the Indiana game where you're like, okay, this guy's pretty good. Um, but look, with with the way they've 
coach quarterbacks the last few years. Like guys can't start day one and be a top 10 pick. Like there is some sort of natural growth and progression that goes in there. But to answer your question, Notre Dame is exponentially better equipped to win this game this year than they were last year. It, they have seven guys, Notre Dame does, who have a catch of at least 39 yards. I don't remember who the guy was stuck on 39, but I wish he'd gone one more yard so I could have said 40 instead of instead of that. I well, you know what? I I actually mock all of the uh, all of the Sports Center thinking of, you know, we're coming in on a milestone. This guy's about to hit his 500th home run. He'll just be the, you know, I don't know, 20th guy in the history of baseball to hit 500 home runs. And I'm not sure if that's the right number. I'm making it up. But I'm like, well, he's also the 20th guy ever hit 499. So that's pretty good, too. But, uh, <laughs> you know, so it's it, it is interesting that the Irish seem to have, uh, and, and largely because of Hartman, some more explosive capabilities. One of the things that's fun on the Saturday slate on college game day is typically I get the game where we are because it often goes to uh, what we refer to as you know a big game sound or a mini big game sound uh, early in the show. So you get to pick an angle of what you want. Now you want it to be treetops. You don't want to act like you know, and certainly I wouldn't be qualified to do this, but I wouldn't want to act like that I'm running a coaching clinic or breaking down some XOs. I haven't decided what to use yet, but I I think what I may feature for Ohio State is the unexpected because I assume that later in the show we're going to get a lot of Kyle McCord, a lot of Marvin Harrison, and that's going to be important. I wonder if Jack Sawyer and JT Tuimaloal can heat up Sam Hartman. That I and you know those two guys and you love the recruiting thing. They I both I think they were both top five in their class at their position. When Ohio State got them, I think they're both top five in the country. Period. Right, and so Tui Malowal dominated the Penn State game last year. He not that he hasn't been good, but he hasn't had a game like that. Sawyer has uh, has changed his body a little bit. Says he's you know trimmed a lot of body fat. Not that he was a fat guy anyway, but he's playing a, a different position, wanting or a, focusing on a position a little bit more maybe than he did last year. He's yet to have a sack through three games. But he's played well. I think I saw in Pro Football Focus that uh, that he was one of the highest graded, if not the highest graded, at his position last week. I may focus on those guys because I would like to see if maybe for all of the angst over the Ohio State offense, they have some defensive components that might be able to disrupt uh, Notre Dame in a pretty significant way Saturday night. Yeah, and uh, I, I agree with that. Those uh, th- th- that pair you mentioned, Reese, have had flashes, but I would say so far at this point in their career, there has been more tease than consistent dominance. And so, getting to Sam Hartman, flustering Sam Hartman, is going to be you know one of the one of the keys. Now, so far, and it's a small sample size against you know pedestrian competition. Ohio State's defense looks like it's taken a step. Um, talked to a scout that went through there this summer, uh, the the nickel safety Sonny Styles, mm-hmm. number six, uh, whose brother Lorenzo actually transferred from Notre Dame to Ohio State this year. He was one of their top receivers last year. Uh, Sonny Styles is like an eye-pop guy, like a wow guy. And they you know, they really haven't had a guy like that in the secondary in a, in, a, in a couple of years. They went through that run of Ward and Lattimore and just some dominant, dominant, dominant corner. So he's a guy that has some versatility and has really flashed 
Denzel Burke, uh, a little bit like Jack Sawyer, like felt that I can go pro clock ticking and has really been really been locked in and focused. People there have been really pleased with the way he's played. And uh, yeah, you uh, you know that, but th- that secondary. Um, you know, which which doesn't have any preseason All Americans on it. You know, and if you're Ohio State, that's that's unusual. It's not one of their. You know, look back the last ten years. It's not one of their better secondaries. Is going to be tested, and they're going to be tested in a big way. And you could argue it's the best quarterback they're going to see. I mean, Sam Hartman, JJ McCarthy's great, but he's an ascending guy. I mean, Sam Hartman is the ACC's all-time leading passer. Like he is as accomplished of a college quarterback as you can actually face. So I'm excited to to see the the, the test of this uh, of this Ohio State defense. And and look, the last big game image we have of them from the uh, from the regular season is is not is not good. I mean, it's uh, it's it's getting you know getting run in the second half um, by by Michigan. So they they did tighten up against Georgia, but then obviously they 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 blew the big lead in that game. So for Jim Knowles, you know, in his tenure, and he's a process guy, he's a pragmatic guy. I think this is an important game to 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 check to see how far they've come because this just isn't early Ryan Day we're going to score 52. Like this Ohio State team for them to win and be a playoff team has to be more balanced and play more complimentary football. Burke said Denzel Burke has said that he's watched he got beat by AD Mitchell for the what proved to be the game winning touchdown pass against Georgia last year and he's watched that over and over he works with Harrison a lot or against Harrison in practice every day. See if he's elevated his game. And the one thing that I wonder on that side of it is if Sawyer and Tui Malowal can get some heat on Sam Hartman, as great as Hartman has been, and he's been even better than I thought he might be, at least through the first few games for Notre Dame. It seems to me from his days at Wake Forest that if he throws interceptions, he throws them in bunches. You know, and, you know, maybe I'm just thinking NC State, maybe it was a Louisville game last year, too. So maybe that's just you know, seared in my brain. But can they make him turn over? Can they make him force things? Can they make him a little more turnover prone? And on the other side, Notre Dame's getting a, a couple of guys back on defense have been banged up. J.D. Bertrand's, uh, you know, supposed to be back. Um, I think he had a concussion in Central Michigan game. And another guy, I think, uh, you know, as much as I've heaped praise on Michigan's Will Johnson at cornerback, Benjamin Morrison at Notre Dame is another really good young corner. And this could be an opportunity for him uh, to show what he has against elite competition in the wide receivers that Ohio State runs out there. Yeah, hasn't gone uh, likely unnoticed amongst the uh, the giant beat cores, uh, both at Ohio State and Notre Dame. Both of them do a great job. That uh, Javante Jean Baptiste is starting at defensive end for Notre Dame. He obviously was a uh, you know was was a core guy um, at Ohio State for a while. Not a star, but a rotation mm-hmm. guy who, who who flashed and was a uh, you know was was a really good player. So that is that is certainly of uh, of, of of interest. And look, it's a it's a it's a pretty good Notre Dame defense, mm-hmm. you know. Al Golden's done a really good job there, don't you think? Yeah, Al Golden's a good football yes, coach, yes. Yeah. Reese, man. Al Golden's a good football coach. You and I are old enough to remember his uh, Lazarus job at Temple, one of the great coaching jobs in my you know twenty years doing this. And uh, yeah, he's yeah he knows what he's doing. Marcus Freeman's hands are over there. He was obviously an elite defensive coordinator at multiple stops. They uh, 
they know what they're doing on that side of the ball. They've recruited well there. They have good athletes. They have guys the NFL wants to draft. Um, it will be, you know, I think Ohio State's biggest test until Michigan, which I do think is a little bit cut above them on defensive talent. So I, I, I really think, I think this this shapes up to me, Reese, is a classic. This game comes down to a final drive, a final kick. A final, like I just really feel like this is one of those games to big brand programs, to evenly matched teams. Um, I didn't think Notre Dame had much of a chance to win last year uh, going into that game. And, and good, for, good for them. They played their tails off and, and made it a game. Remember, the Jackson Smith and Jigba got hurt on the first drive of that mm-hmm. game and uh, really derailed, uh, derailed Ohio State's game plan, and they were scuffling from, from that point on. Um, it's also a huge recruiting matchup. You mentioned recruiting earlier. I mean, these, these two programs – are going after the same players in that footprint and beyond. And so um, for Marcus Freeman, for as much as it would help Notre Dame's playoff chances, um, give him his first true from the rooftop signature win, um, it would also be a giant boon on in the recruiting space, both in that footprint and beyond. There are only the two programs are, or the two campuses are separated by 250 miles or so. And when you think of the storied traditions of both, it immediately comes to mind, why don't they play more often? And, you know, I've got all of these college football history books and I'm a nerd and I I didn't know the answer or if there was an answer to this. So I called uh, John Heisler, legendary SID at Notre Dame for a long time, now working at UCF. So, Great. Yeah, and a wonderful, Good. wonderful guy, big with the National Football yeah. Foundation. Uh, and and as you, when you and I talked earlier, just before we started, he was involved in Notre Dame scheduling for a number of years, uh, too. I asked John, why not? And he said from their side, meaning Notre Dame's side, he didn't think there was really a reason. I mean, when you think about Marcus Freeman, being and I mean this is modern obviously, but Marcus Freeman being a, an elite player at Ohio State in the day, and Gene Smith, uh, the athletic director at Ohio State, being a Notre Dame man and having been there for years. I mean they put some series together, but there there have been connections over the years, and the geographical proximity would scream, "Why don't you guys play?" I don't know that, that there's no. I was hoping that there was some great backstory about an argument over gate receipts in 1948 or something. <laughs> and there apparently there's nothing like that. Notre Dame had scheduling obligations in the 70s. They restarted the series with Michigan. You know, they played Purdue. They played Michigan State a lot. You know, so it was kind of like, okay, you're still playing Stanford, you're playing SC. Are you really going to take that on? Now, maybe there's a side, and if there is, I would welcome feedback on on uh, X or Instagram or something from any of our listeners. If there is a backstory of which I've been able to unearth, I would love to hear it. But it just seems like it's one of those things, for lack of a better explanation. And that makes you really appreciate and cherish what we're going to have this week, because as the realignment a cards fall and potentially conference schedules expand and Notre Dame, while independent, still aligned with the ACC for almost half of its schedule and then still wanting to maintain the rivalry games that they've had with SC. And I assume, although I guess Stanford will fall into that ACC footprint at some point, 
How often are we going to see this? Are we going to see it more because teams are going to beef up their schedule more? Or is this going to be a rarity? And I'm not going to pretend that I know what the future is in terms of contracts between Notre Dame and Ohio State. But I feel pretty secure in saying that it's not an annual thing right now. I believe this is just the back end of the home and home. I don't know if they have another one scheduled in the future. But you need to you need to wrap your arms around it when you get it, and uh, and I think we'll we'll do just that on Saturday morning, and certainly when the game comes on Saturday night. This is a this is Ohio State and Notre Dame, Ohio State and Notre Dame. That that puts everything else in second place because those two brands, those two programs, the history. The stakes for this particular game as it pertains to playoff positioning down the road, that's best in game. And it's brought to you by Old Dominion Freightline, helping the world keep promises. And I promise you that when Ohio State and Notre Dame play, they've only played seven times in history, that's where game day needs to be because we cover the entire sport. That's what college game day is college football's pregame show and when it's when it's for the entire sport, you don't ignore the biggest matchup by the biggest brands when, oh, by the way, both are championship contenders, at least in the early going. That's where you go. I would love to go back to the Palouse, but you can't go this week. The great Bill Connolly is on the cusp of joining us here recent. I would be curious of his perspective on on this. So if Notre Dame is ever going to join a conference, it's highly likely they would join the Big Ten, right? And the Big Ten has courted them in different ways for years. There's been different flirtations. There's been different uh, machinations, ruminations, and everything. And Notre Dame, which has TV deal up in three or four years, you know, the, the strong hint in the industry right now is they're going to they're going to re-up probably with NBC uh, but they're going to go independent and what and stay independent and what we've seen from the TV market if you look at the the Pac-12s uh, dissolving and you look at other things is that 10 15 years ago like Big 10 takes Rutgers Maryland it was a quantity game and it was a cable box game for this now it's a quality game and Notre Dame brings quality they bring eyeballs they bring people who love them they bring people who watch them to lose there is, you know, Notre Dame running the way Brian Kelly got them to run, and Jack Swarbrick led the charge in in firing Charlie Weiss and in building the facilities and keeping Notre Dame modern. Um, are a are a vibrant playoff contender. A twelve team playoff. Notre Dame has a shot to make it every year, and if they're relevant and vibrant in that way, I really think that you know their independence is secured. Um, what I'd be curious about from Bill when he joins us is, okay. When do the numbers of leagues get big enough? When do the leagues expand so much and bloat so much? And when do they go from eight game, nine game to 10 game schedules, depending on which league you are? When does Notre Dame get squeezed and have to join a conference? Like it's almost like a numbers game, right? Um, they, they are very resolute about Stanford. They are very resolute about USC. They're going to want to play Navy. Um, so they're, they're, you know, their independence is dependent on other leagues scheduling essentially. And, you know, the, the feel from Notre Dame is they'd rather, you know, they don't want to be like left out on an Island and then join a league that the timing has to sort of line up. So I, I would just be curious, you know, as things go, do you think they'll ever join a league? Reese? Not unless they have to. 
I think the only way yeah. they join a conference is if the dollars are so disparate that they could make so much more money in the Big Ten or the SEC than they could otherwise, or if somehow the scheduling in those conferences expands to the point that it limits their ability, if not eliminates their ability to play the type of schedule that they would want to. Otherwise, I don't think they will because this 12-team playoff is perfect for them as long as they can keep, you know, as long as they can keep a representative schedule, they'll, you know, they'll be able to make their way into the playoff if they're good enough. And so there's no reason to give up that independence. I like the history of it. And maybe since it's almost a hundred years old now, this feud, but I believe it was fielding hurry up Yost and, and Michigan that blocked Notre Dame when Newt Rockney uh, was interested in bringing the Fighting Irish into the Big Ten, and there were for generations hard feelings surrounding that, and and there are probably still a few old school Notre Dame people who've been uh, who've been baptized in the lore of holding the old grudges who would prefer not to join the Big Ten, you know, because of that. I've even said, you know what, it makes no geographical sense, but. That's the move I would make. Obviously, Jim Phillips in the ACC, because they have Notre Dame in every other sport except football, would want that. I think the SEC should try to get them too. You know, and then oh, they yeah. want them. Like let's let's not let's not yeah. kill ourselves. I, I've been reminded by SEC officials that Indiana is a contiguous state <laughs> to Kentucky. Kentucky. Right. <laughs> it is a contiguous state. You don't really think about the Upper Midwest hard on I ninety. Yeah. As being, uh, you know, <laughs> as being in the uh, in the in the in the barbecue belt there in the SEC, but um, yes, it is uh, it is it is that. Uh, Bill, do you know? Did Fielding Yost or Newt Rockney have better SP plus in their career? <laughs> Newt Rockney got dinged for poor strength of schedule. Uh, <laughs> this is where I can go on a big thing about it. You know, if I wanted to, if if I wanted to really fire up Notre Dame fans, I could point out that you know maybe they got a little more credit uh, in the 1920s than they deserved because they 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 feasted on a lot of pretty bad opponents. But I'm not going to go there. I I will not. It's do that. too late. You just yeah. went there as we welcome in <laughs> Bill Connolly with uh, data to back up his points. You just went. You can't. You know, it's sort of like one of those things where people go, "Well, no offense." And then they right. say something wildly <laughs> insulting, and you're supposed to pretend like it's not wildly insulting. Yeah. I, I said with all due respect. With all due respect doesn't absolve you from whatever disrespectful thing you're about to say. And by the way, uh, parts of Indiana are as Southern as anything I've ever seen in the South. So That's fair. So I, I do think uh, That's uh, fair. There's, there's, plenty of, there's plenty to go on there. Bill, you're, when you say things are as Southern as anything you've ever seen, you're saying something good, but you're saying it as if it's bad. No, no, I'm just I'm saying it as if it's true. That, that's all I'm saying is, is uh, you know, you're driving through Eastern or Southern Indiana, you're not going to really know you're 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 not in Kentucky or anywhere else. It's uh, I think that says something about the country in general too. But again, that's probably a topic for another time. The, yeah, there's rural and there's cities and everything else. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's wire you in on a on an interesting sort of uh, numerical conference realignment situation. <laughs> At what point, Bill, do you think leagues get big enough where Notre Dame is forced to join a league? Um, I'm very well. I, I do think the 12 team playoff. I mean, Jack Swarbrick br- being on the group that kind of helped create that. I think that tells you that they're pretty happy with it. But I am very. I had an ACC assistant. I was talking to an ACC assist- assistant a few weeks ago who said like. 
he was in one of those like I'm not saying I'm just saying kind of modes where he, he was saying if Notre Dame had eyes on joining the ACC for everything insisting on bringing Cal and Stanford aboard um, would be kind of one step toward doing that uh, and making sure that you know they don't have to play a quote-unquote non-conference against Stanford and so on um I don't know if I believe that, but I guess technically they could make sure the money works out pretty well for them to do so. But I and and as far as scheduling and trying to make the playoff go, if you're going to join a conference, I think you'd rather join the ACC. Um, so I'm very curious about that. But I am I'm very curious about everything right now because we're we're at a point where it almost makes sense for the ACC and maybe the Big Twelve to keep adding teams to just get bigger and bigger, even if you don't do my dream of of uh, you know. Uh, promotion or relegation and whatnot like the apparently like apparently the mountain west might be considering um it, it is interesting um what are we picturing here so like five ten years from now maybe big 10 and sec have both added a couple more or something we're at like 18 or 20 or something what are we really uh, as far as the playoff goes are we just basically assuming it's two two conferences making up the playoff are we still saying that conference champions from elsewhere still get in um like what's the vision for that because i think that affects the answer as much as purely whether there's a number they can't go beyond yeah it's it's always hard bill to to project out conference realignment because it's so dynamic <laughs> it's right possible, you could say yeah. you know i don't think notre dame ever joins the acc i'll just be blunt about yeah. that um now and the ACC is more likely to erode than grow in a significant, vibrant way in the next decade. So that that weaves weaves into it here. I guess from a scheduling standpoint, when would when do you think Notre Dame would get squeezed out? Like eventually, the SEC is going to go to nine, right? When they can get enough money, and the Big Ten is already at nine, correct? Correct. Yeah. Yes. So and then like when do they go to ten? Yeah. Because there was a there was a really interesting insight from uh, Dean Jordan from from Wasserman, who's a TV consultant who's been around for for as long as I've done this. Really smart guy, out, on a panel in DC, and he said the way leagues can make more money now isn't yeah. by adding teams, yeah. but it's by scheduling more league games. Yeah, because they already have all the quality; they just need to play each other more. That's a way to significantly uptick your value. Yeah. And I thought that was like one of those like aha moment things. So if the SEC ends up at 10 and the Big Ten up, ends up at 10, does Notre Dame still have the bandwidth to survive independence just numerically from, right. a, from a scheduling standpoint? Yeah, that's kind of, I guess maybe USC holds the answer there too. Um, yeah. Like just in terms of do they at some point basically said, no, you got to join the Big Ten if you want to keep playing us. That, that would certainly push them further in that direction. I, by the way, as somebody who runs a system, a, a, a rating system, uh, kind of dependent on con, uh, connectivity between teams and conferences, 10 game conference schedules, like I, I get an anxiety <laughs> attack thinking about that because sure. we will know so little about conferences if they're only playing amongst themselves. But Look at the SEC this year. Like we've learned a lot about the SEC <laughs> from outside competition, and we wouldn't know that if and, it was just Mississippi the State. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh sure. Yeah. yeah. No, Pac-12 is um you know in terms of just average SP plus ratings or whatever they continue to rise, and and part of that is because not only are they do they kind of pick a good smattering of teams to play, but they've beaten those teams, and uh, it's worked out very well. SEC is still number one overall in those averages, by the way. I mean, they still have Georgia and whatnot, but. Pac-12 is rising quickly, and it's making things very interesting. 
It's an Irish wake, as we'd say in Boston. <laughs>、Yeah, on that subject, really, I've been a proponent for several years that the SEC should jump to the top and go to 10, and then the Big Ten should follow suit. Not necessarily because it was creating value for them. There's, there's some selfish motivation there. It creates value for us because you get more, you get a higher chance of weekends like we have this weekend of high level games, compelling and intriguing matchups all over the place. And so, since we talked about the ACC, why not just go ahead and start with Florida State and Clemson? This feels like a last stand for playoff contention, elite status for this season for Clemson. And it feels like Florida State has a little house money to play with after beating LSU and with the likelihood that if they took care of their business, they would get another shot.、Um, How do you assess? I noticed in, in your SP Plus projections, you still have, you still have Clemson slightly、yeah. favored. That was very annoying. I know that's、yeah. frustrating to you because some of that is carryover, <laughs> correct? Yeah, yeah. Basically, it's carryover, and the fact, you know, Clemson ended up projecting pretty well heading into the year with what they returned and everything. And,、um, you know, SP Plus didn't, wasn't really sold on, F, on Florida State last year just because they only played. Like we remembered them playing for half the year.、Um, so when they started rising, they only rose so far and blah, blah, blah. But basically, the other thing going against Florida State right now is that they fell from 8th to 13th after Boston College last week. So if you kind of add some context there, it was windy or whatever, and Jordan Travis was hurt for the second half, you know, maybe they, you know, that punished them a little too much.、Uh, but that's, that's why Clemson's favored now. I don't like it. I, I'm picking Florida State, but. Um, but but it, it's at least a reminder that Clemson's quality isn't that far in the rear view. And、uh, they, did, they, they fell after losing to Duke, but then they treated two overwhelmed opponents like they were supposed to. And、uh, they're still very efficient offensively.、Uh, they're not making any big plays. And、uh, Cade Klumpen, whatever he's been saving in the first three games of his.、Uh, Starting era at Clemson, he needs to dole it out this week.、Uh, they, need some, they need some chunk plays and easy points, but it's at least a reminder that Clemson is capable of, of winning a game like this, and they kind of have, still have to prove that they're not anymore. Yeah. Bill, they only average only 7% of their passes go 20 yards or longer. That's like in the bottom five in the country. They average about five yards per attempt. Uh, five air yards per attempt. They've lost a bunch of fumbles. They've lost four fumbles. I know most of them, you know, in that weird Duke game. But, you know, I don't think they're going to be able to win the game out muscling Florida State. They're going to need to get something easy if they're going to, if they're going to、yeah. win. And so far, we haven't seen the evidence that they have the receivers to do that up to this point, anyway. Yeah, Klubnik's averaging like 9.7 yards per completion. It's a nibble offense right now. And,、um, and again, you know, they knew they were going to beat、uh, Charleston Southern and Florida Atlantic. So they didn't really have to, you know, divvy out any of their, their, the special parts of their playbook, I guess. But now we're going to find out if they have special parts of the playbook and if they have receivers who can make big plays when asked. Because they're going to, yeah, they, they had that one 40 yard run against Duke. And that's pretty much it for the year at this point. And,、um, 
that 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 has to change. Obviously, not only for Florida State, uh, but they go to Syracuse the week after that. And Syracuse looks awesome right now. So, and then you know Wake and Miami and NC State. A whole bunch of these games are losable if it, if it really just turns out that Clemson can't ever make any big plays here. Yeah, I'll be curious uh, to see if Clemson's skill, which I think you can take a direct line to the the decline of Clemson from national title winner, playoff contender to this notch just below that where they live right now, to their just the the drop in receiver play. I, I don't think it's 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 overly uh, it's it's overly complex when you look at it. They have. Uh, Cole Turner, Bo Collins, Antonio Williams. None of those guys, if you're a defensive coordinator, scares you. You They can't blow the top off, as Bill said. And you are not forming your game plan around stopping them, which means it's going to be congested for Will Shipley uh, up the middle. Their offensive line has also really been pedestrian throughout their run of dominance. They've just had the skill to overcome that. So um, – I'll be curious to see for FSU, Akeem Dent was out last week. He's their safety who started like 32 games. He's one of the better safeties in the ACC. They missed him against Boston College. Thomas Castellanos ran wild um, and threw wild, quite frankly, not his specialty. So um, that's going to be a big factor for those uh, for those pondering investments in this game. And uh, Florida State's had two key offensive linemen uh, hurt, uh, their, their left tackle, Scott, and then their center, Smith. So those, you know, in, against Clemson still has dudes in their front seven now. Let's let's not like yes. think that the cupboard yeah. is bare there. They have uh, they have they have real NFL guys in in their front seven from uh, Tyler Davis to Reese's favorite Ruke Horororo and uh, Jeremiah Trotter and Barrett Carter are one of the best linebacker tandems in the in the country. So. It, I, I could see this really being like a 13-10 kind of, you know, come down to a field goal game. Waiting for, and they also have a couple of young ones uh, that are coming along. And, and Jared Verse, I know he's been dinged up, but he hasn't made a huge impact yet in terms of sacks. He only has half of one uh, going in. So, you know, can he get to Club Nick? Can they start really, you know, putting some heat? He does have a couple of hurries. Uh, on the stat sheet, but I don't know that. And like I said, he's been dinged, had some good moments against LSU, but you wait to see if he can make a big impact on the game. And through it all, through it all, this, I'm, I'm leaning to pick Florida state too, because you guys know that, you know, I've been very high on them since the preseason, but this is, this is where Dabo Sweeney is at his best. Now, Pete's point is well taken. You can be as mad as you want to be. And if you don't have, you know, the weapons, the requisite weapons on offense to take advantage of it, you can be as fired up and give the best speech and then nobody respects us as much as you want and it won't help you. But this is where Dabo Sweeney's at his best. He's not necessarily at his best when he's trying to manufacture disrespect. But when there's actual um, critique, which coaches will always take critique as disrespect, that can be uh, formed into motivational tactics. That's where he's at his best. So Clemson, I think Clemson will come out and their defense will make life miserable for Florida State for a while. The question is, will they be able to do anything on offense to take advantage of that emotion early? Because you know they haven't. Florida State hasn't won in Death Valley since Jameis Winston said, "We ain't leaving without a victory." And we're back, 
And at Florida State, if we're going to do it big, we're going to do it big then. Or if we're going to do it, we're going to do it big then. And this would be big for the Seminoles if they could follow that LSU win by going into Clemson and winning and saying with authority that they're back and that they're headed to the playoff. And Last ACC home loss, guys? Do you know what it is for Clemson? Uh, I'm going to say... I'm going to say Pittsburgh in 16. Is that right? Reese Davis, that is why you are America's host. That was a wild game. Do you remember that game? Yeah, I do. Yeah, Totally wild. And that is their last, I think it went to overtime. If it didn't, it went down to the last play. Yeah, last, like, yeah, last field goal, yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, that is the last time that, uh, that that Clemson lost that home. So anyone just thinking Florida State's going to go in and win 42 nothing or something is dead wrong. Like there will be resistance. I'm going to move us to another game, but just real, since we are touching history here, they lost to Pittsburgh. And look, as seasons play out, if you lose one game, then the next, you know, maybe you respond differently and play differently. I understand that. That 16 team won the national championship on that great drive late that culminated with Deshaun Watson finding Hunter Renfro against Alabama. But they lost the Pittsburgh game and I was standing right on the sidelines when Lamar Jackson was leading Louisville down the field. And and the receiver just he he I mean there was there was a defender coming, but he just stepped out short. He he you know, he just he's if he takes another step, he gets the first down, or if he turns up field, he gets the first down, almost certainly. And then it, you would be hard-pressed to believe that they were going to keep Lamar Jackson out of the end zone. And that national championship team assuming the Pittsburgh game went the same way, doesn't even make the playoff. Doesn't even, doesn't even win the division because had Louisville won that game, they would have won the division. And despite the loss to Houston later in the year. So it's a, it's a thin margin anytime. And, and it's going to be, even if Florida state is loaded and ready, uh, there won't be, there won't be a ton of uh, room for error. There won't be much room for error for them. We talked a lot. Can I just and I'm be gonna, undisciplined for one second. <laughs> yeah, please do. Talking of an undisciplined, that's the sub subtitle of this podcast. Love a Bill Connolly list of every champion for since like the BCS era started and their great escape. Yeah. Right, like like people are like, oh, Florida State's oh, stuck at BC. Yeah, and yeah. and I would be like, no, actually, every kind of team that is championship level has a game where everything goes wrong. Dudes are hurt. Like I, I rewatched some of the end of that BC game on the ACC Network last night. There was just like a swing pass, dude gets stripped, guy walks, you know, backup nickel walks in the end zone, and it's one score game. So I just think there are that that to me is one of the great parts of college football's lore is that you are going to go on the road, play poorly, and somehow have to manufacture a victory. And I feel like every team has one of those every year. Would you yeah. agree with that, Bill? Oh, yeah. I mean, Alabama, uh, the amount of – I mean, clearly, Nick Saban, you know, we want to call him the best coach ever. Like, there's a very, very good case for it, to be sure. Uh, but every, pretty much every year they won the national title, there was some amount of fortune involved because that's just what it takes. I mean, 09, they blocked the field goal against Tennessee, and they get Colt McCoy – 
you know, hurt on like the third, the, the Texas's third snap or whatever. Uh, 2011, obviously, they needed Oklahoma State to miss a field goal against Iowa State uh, after losing to LSU. And there was some bad fortune with the LSU game as well. So it goes both ways. Uh, but 2012, they lose to AM and they needed uh, uh, the mad finish against Georgia. They needed a big comeback and then to stop them inbounds uh, as time was expiring. So just every 2015, they kind of might have needed Hunter Henry to uh, throw the greatest back backwards lateral of all time uh, otherwise Ole Miss wins the division and we don't know how that maybe affects Alabama's standing in the in the in the rankings so it's it, it always requires some sort of good fortune whether we really want to acknowledge it when we're fans or not and the line's thinner this year right we think of those Alabama teams and Georgia teams like the line is just thinner there's no yeah. there's no other way to say it. oh yeah all right, sorry, I hijacked it. No, no, no. That was. I mean, it's a, it's a great, it's a great thing because there's always there's the give and take because there's always something, and how you play one game will affect the way you play the next or your approach to it. Because let's say Louisville had won that game at Clemson that night, I don't believe there's any way in the world Pittsburgh beats them. I, you know, I mean, I, I can can't prove that. But it's just a vibe that you get. If they lose that one, they respond differently. The season plays out. You know, human nature comes into play a little bit, and you can uh, you can avoid that. That Texas A&M game that you mentioned that Alabama lost in 12 ended up not really affecting them. But that was right after they had pulled one out of the fire against LSU and scored, you know, that late drive uh, and T.J. Yeldon scoring. So, you know, it went both ways. You know, they had, you know, Johnny knocking the ball into the air and then scoring, you know, and saying, well, you know, if they could have stopped that, they would have won that game. Well, they probably should have lost the LSU game, or at least they could have. You know, so there's always the uh, the flip side to both, and we'll we'll see how it goes. What do you guys think about um, – let's hit a few quick. We spent a bunch of time on Colorado, but I still want to hit that game because – of the phenomenon that is Deion Sanders as the head coach there. Uh, the fact that the teams they've played haven't been, um, haven't been great up to this point. They forced a bunch of turnovers, but man, oh man, you start looking at some of the numbers in terms of, um, you know, in, in terms of pressure allowed in terms of not really being able to stop the run. Uh, all of these things, all of these things point to a blowout. Saturday, really, with Oregon, and yet the way Colorado's come through and the clutch of clutch play of Shadur Sanders, it's hard for me to get there. Everything tells me that Oregon's going to stomp them, and yet it's hard to get there because of the way they've uh, the way they've made clutch plays and the way they've been able to score when they've really needed to. I'll be quick, and I'll let Bill go. I'm doing one of my big breakdowns for Friday, and I talked to probably eight assistants who've faced or studied Colorado. I'll give you the one-word summation that'll be the lead quote in my story. Boat raced. That is the consensus, that Colorado will get boat raced. Uh, yeah, it's not hard for me to necessarily get there um, as far as... Now, I, here's here's the biggest thing for me. Well, okay, there are two equal things. Number one, Colorado's defense stinks. Um, they, it just It just does. I mean... They 14 points against Nebraska. Nebraska had to lay the ball down quite a bit for that, but 35 points to Colorado, 42 to TCU. Uh, they're 96th in, in success rate allowed. They're 106th in three and out percentage. They're 89th in points allowed per drive. Um, they're, they're kind of bend, don't break against the pass, but they're giving, big, uh, giving up some big plays in the run game. There's just not a lot to point to 
it's improved, I guess, because last year's defense was so dreadful, but it's still not anywhere close to good. And now they're playing an Oregon team that um, is as recklessly efficient as anybody in the country since Bo Nix got there. Um, they don't always make enough big plays. So, you know, they could they could certainly stand to create some more easy points like Washington does, but they're ridiculously efficient and really hard to knock off schedule. And I don't know how Colorado is going to do it unless Oregon makes mistakes. But the other thing is the pressure rates. Um, I looked up hits. Hits on dropbacks so far this year. Um, There are only, let's see, there are only 10 guys who have been hit at least 30 times so far in three games. There are only three who have been hit at least 40 times. Shadur Sanders has been hit 55 times. Um, That's astonishing. Both because of... Well, both because of how frequently they pass. They don't run the ball. It's all pass. And because their offensive line can't protect him. And, and you know, he's running around and, and makes amazing plays at the end of these games. Um, it helped the Colorado State decided to just stop pressuring him at the end uh, for some reason. But uh, he's just been hit so much. And never mind the injury risk that comes with that. It's just going to be so hard to play from behind schedule uh, and run around that much to to keep up with Bonix and Oregon, and I, I I just from an entertainment fa- uh, perspective, I hope they do it, but I don't think they do it. I I, I suspect Bucky Irving's going to have a day uh, for Oregon, and we covered on Monday why they stopped pressuring Bill um, for fifty eight minutes. They played with bravado and swagger, and then when they decided not to go for it and finish them. Right there, even though it was a great punt and it gave them the high win probability, it was at that moment that they started trying, instead of trying to win, they started trying not to lose. And then they did. So, and then they did. Um, How about Penn State and Iowa? I feel like, uh, I read what you said, uh, Bill, you were saying it was the best defense in the country. But hear me out on this. Is the is the dirty little secret in the early part of the season that you can run on Iowa? They're middle of the pack in yards yeah. per carry allowed, and that's not a good formula when you have those two dudes rolling in in a whiteout condition uh, for Penn State. Yeah, I mean, basically, I said best just because they're number one in, S- in defensive SP plus. They also started there, um, and so they're you know they're 14th in points allowed per drive. But you're right. I mean, this is a little more bend don't break than what we've seen. Well, we typically see they still force tons of three and outs or they have against, you know, three bad to awful offenses. Um, but they're 61st in rushing success rate allowed. The passing numbers are all still very good. They still don't give up big plays by any means. But, um, but yeah, like that's if you're six, if you're 61st uh, against the run like that after playing Utah State and Iowa State and Western Michigan, now you got to play Penn State. Uh, Wisconsin can still run the ball. Minnesota tries to. Maybe they'll eventually be good at it. They're not yet. Um, but there's there's uh, there's some risk involved if you're still really not scoring any points and um, and. And you're allowing teams to establish the run a little bit more. I was won eight of its last nine games. So for a program <laughs> that like has been criticized, and we've certainly poked at Brian Ferentz, and I'm sure you saw the AI thing that Pat McAfee put on <laughs> was, uh, put on the that internet was yesterday. Like they've won eight of nine games. Yeah. Like they're running a high major football program in the middle of Iowa, where there's like three players a year. So I'm just saying I'm not going to be surprised if that is a blood fist game in the fourth quarter. 
Yeah, right? this is, I mean, Drew Aller just passed one test. He won on the road. He didn't do yeah. much. Uh, he didn't have to do much. Uh, you know, they, they were benefiting from turnovers. And so we don't know if he just couldn't or they just, you know, they didn't have to play that card. Uh, but now he's got his next test, which is playing not only a very good defense overall, no matter what, but just the, the trickiest zone defense. Like they, they, you know exactly what they're going to do and they still bait you into mistakes if you're not ready to to avoid them. So as a sophomore first-time quarterback, there's a chance he has a bad game. Maybe it's not enough. Uh, you know, maybe Iowa can still only score 13 points and they lose anyway, but there's a chance Jaraller has a very bad day. This, this I've been piecing together my, my Friday preview uh, over the last couple of days and it's stressing me out because there's just too much. Uh, this game would have been, I, I would have given this game like 1400 words last week and it's going to be like 200 words, uh, like five games down on the list. And it's, it's stressing me out. I don't, I'm not, not saying everything I want to say and it's annoying. You, you might you might even be fewer with UCLA and Utah, and we should know. <laughs> I don't know if we'll know for sure until Saturday whether Cam Rising plays. Supposed to get a much better indication on Thursday as as to whether the Utah quarterback makes his season debut and his return against the Bruins. Young quarterback in front of the must. Now UCLA took care of Utah last year, and Chip's a brilliant offensive mind, but that doesn't seem to be a formula for success. To me, yeah. uh, no matter how good uh, Dante Moore has been in the early going. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Utah's defense is much better this year, I think, too, than it was last year. So there, there's that. And yeah, just a freshman playing at Utah. That that should make sure none of your assistant coaches should be sleeping this week and just or be able to sleep this week because that's a that's a very bad thought. Dante Moore has been amazing this year and it's gotten drowned out because there are just so many Pac-12 stories to tell right now. Uh, but I mean, he's 10th in total QBR. He's within the Pac-12. He's only behind Williams and Penix. He's ahead of everybody else. He, you know, watching that San Diego State game was, I mean, the dude can throw Um, Mm -hmm. just casual, awesome, up the seam passes, 25 yards downfield. Um, This, I assume Utah beats him up enough that this is a really hard game and Utah maybe survives it. But there's a chance UCLA's ceiling is much higher than we've really discussed so far this year. Uh, and, and, And we'll find out a whole heck of a lot on Saturday. And that could be an all field goal game. (laughs) Right. Like you said, it's a good offense, but they're going to struggle to move against Utah. Um, We don't know if it's going to be Nate Johnson or Cam Rising. If it is Cam Rising, I don't think they're just going to roll out and run him like they have. So he can't be full Cam Rising. Right. Correct. So, you know, and again, it's it's like 80 percent Cam Rising better than Nate Johnson running around, um, you know, uh, like a like a wildcat quarterback, basically. So that'll be it'll be really interesting. But I can't that that one ain't going to be 42, 41. Okay, give me something quick on something we'll point out on game day. Oregon State and Washington State not only winning against the defectors in the Pac-12 in the court (laughs) of law, they're also winning in the game day crowd because now they've joined forces and Old Crimson will be traveling and flying alongside the (laughs) Oregon State flag, which doesn't really have a name yet, but I'm probably going to try to attach the name Old Beef to it and see since old crimson old beef because i don't know really how this started but i typically refer to oregon state just as beef instead of the beavers i don't really know why there's no reason for it it's just something like sparty well yeah just, well no there's a reason for that but well, right, it's uh well, there are a couple of reasons for sparty one is because he's the mascot and two because of the way it the uh 
a visceral adverse reaction I've gotten from some people, not, hey, we don't like that, but like near threatening me if I didn't stop doing it. Well, then I'm just going to do it more then. And then there are a few, uh, a few Spartan people who don't mind it because they feel like they feel the same way I do. Uh, Sparty's jacked. He's, he's brave. He's valiant. He's a hero. Why wouldn't you want to be called Sparty? You know I mean? Look at him. I mean, what's wrong with Sparty? Nothing's wrong with him. Uh, well, maybe there's something wrong with Sparty the team right now in the program, but there's uh, not there's not much wrong with Sparty the mascot. As it is, Beave going to the Palouse, youngest Power Five uh, offensive coordinator in the country, Ben Arbuckle. Cam Ward has been uh, putting up numbers. I think. I think this game is going to be sensational yeah. on, on Saturday. Yeah, no, this is um, another one that I would rather spend a thousand words on than 250 or whatever it's going to be. But yeah, Washington State's their defense actually has been a little disappointing compared to you know where where they set the bar last year. Uh, you know, 24 points against Colorado State, 21 against Northern Colorado showed up when it needed to against Wisconsin, obviously uh, for the most part. And, and maybe that's a good sign that you know when they have to, they still have that gear. But the offense has been the story so far for Washington State. Lots of of just everything that was we thought might Cam Ward might be capable of last year, but he kind of struggled with the transition uh, translation and everything. Uh, I mean, seventy-two percent completion rate. He's already almost to a thousand yards. Granted, in the Pac-12, that only means so much, but it, for it, for mortal offenses, that's very impressive. Um, and Oregon State's just been awesome so far. Top twenty in points per drive. Top twenty in points allowed per drive. Haven't played anybody, but they've dominated for the most part. They struggled offensively against San Diego State, and the defense dominated. Um, so just, I know Oregon state's good. We're going to find out how good Washington state is. If, if that Wisconsin win was just emotion and extra passion involved with circumstances and everything else, um, we'll, we'll find out exactly what Washington state's capable of, but Oregon state's capable of a lot. So, uh, two thoughts here. One is the winner of this game should get a game day someday, sometime this season. And the second thing is Jake Dickert is unhappy with game day. He said, you can go to Ohio State, Notre Dame, anytime. He said, this is like a once in a century thing. And you know what? It's a fair point. So Washington State no, it's Jake not. Dickert. Uh, it's, well, and, uh, they, don't pl- they don't play very often. So, you know, there, there is that. But yes. Well, at, this is literally the last time they could be on this stage at Washington State and Oregon State. And they're both very good. So I appreciated his, I appreciated his shot. That's all. I was like, okay, that's fair. I appreciate his passion. Yes. And I understand why, because I was getting lobbied from a Washington State about that. And I think most weeks we would have done that. Yeah, and, and here's the deal. With the Pac-12 being as awesome as it is this year, Oregon State still plays Utah at home, UCLA at home, Washington at home. Washington State still plays, um, well, Colorado. <laughs> they, their, their home road split is a little worse, but um, there is still plenty of opportunities um, if these teams keep winning the way they have so far. Bill, always a lot of fun. I know that there is a sizable contingent of our audience who are saying, what about Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban? What about Ole Miss and Alabama? Read Bill's preview column for that. And we're going to spend a significant amount of time on that Friday uh, when we do our uh, picks podcast as well. Bill, always appreciate you, my friend. And congratulations, by the way, on, on thicker kicker. Uh, Harrison <laughs> Mivas knocking one through and lifting the Tigers. Bill of Missouri left. To Don't congratulate him. He left the game. I, I, I. 
Bill I, left the game. I only feel comfortable saying for a half. I got to get back. It starts stressing me out. Like I've got to write about 38 different games right now. Uh, so yes, I did leave. First half was a lot of fun though. Um, you know, barring the whole, the end of the game was way more fun thing. Oh, wait, Bill. <laughs> wait, Bill, you, you left? You left before the game was over? Halftime? I always leave at halftime. Really? I can't. You do? I can't. I got to get back. I, oh. I start getting anxious. Oh, well. I don't know if you know this then, since you left before the game was over, you're worried about other things, but Harrison Mevis kicked a 61-yard yes. field goal, and I, they I won. noticed. Have you, seen, have you seen the video of it yet? <laughs> a little bit, a couple times. Yeah. Maybe, maybe <laughs> I, I, will, I was... You didn't take your kid with you, did you? Oh, no, we always... A 12-year-old always comes, and now and then she was kind of mad, like, wait, I, I would I have been able to rush the field like that? I'm like, oh, maybe, <laughs> oh, maybe. You well, scarred you know. her childhood. That's right. She, well, she just has to go to Mizzou one day and, and rush the field when that happens, although Bill, they keep getting fined 100000 for it. The opportunities might get less and less, I guess. Okay, now, Bill, let, let me add, and I know we're supposed to be wrapping up, but I can't <laughs> until, we, until we get here. I will allow leaving a game, and I know this is uh, totally uh, self-serving, but if it's the last flight out of town and it's the difference between like being home the entire day, the next day, missing half the day. But my understanding is like you're driving across town to your house, right? <laughs> I and and yeah, like it's like twelve minutes away. And oh, you've I'm, got I'm, to start staying for the end of the game. You have to. You've got to. Start I'm writing. I'm writing about like four to two different games on Sunday morning. That's that's my biggest issue. Is I just get. I it gets. I, I it's. I struggle. And, and okay. only All like right. once a year is there a game like this in Columbia that comes down to the wire like that. Statistically, uh, maybe, your argument is sound for leaving. <laughs> right. I, I I felt okay with it, even if there were some regrets once the uh, the ending happened the way it did. And by the way, with Harrison Mevis, I felt better about that 61 yard field goal than I did about the 26 yarder he had to beat Auburn last year that he yeah. missed. You really you got to give him yeah. space. Basically, and yeah. <laughs> and even that delay of game at the end that was one of the worst things you'll ever see. Uh, I felt perfectly equally fine with fifty six and sixty one when it came to Mevis. Bill, you're the best man. Thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. Always enjoy the visit every week with the great Bill Connolly, putting data and numbers to our hunches for the games coming up this weekend. Picks coming up on Friday. Hope you'll join us then. Of course, the best thing you can do is subscribe to the College Game Day podcast. That way it is always right there for your listening pleasure, or you can watch on YouTube anytime you want it. We'll see you on Friday.